asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're answering your listener questions. You know what, buddy? This is an Ask How to Money episode, and we've got some great topics to get to today. Uh, so there's a, a listener, and they have a spouse with an expensive hobby that that particular partner is not a fan of. And Ooh. yeah, so we're going to kind of dabble into the <laughs> into those waters. Uh, another listener is wondering whether or not managed accounts, whether or not they're uh, all that they're cracked up to be, yeah. basically. Worth the additional cost. And then we're also going to talk about international roaming with some of the uh, low cost cellular providers. How do you do it if you're not with one of the bigs? Uh, we'll get to that one as well. Mm-hmm. Plus additional content today on our Ask How to Money episode. We have recent experience with that, by the way, yeah, traveling yeah, overseas. Australia. We'll give our thoughts on what that was like, and it might not have been great. Uh, <laughs> but before we get to that, and before we get to your questions, I just want to mention, Matt, real quick that, and this is probably something we could talk about on a Friday flight, but their rent prices around the country have softened significantly. Like, might have seen minor increases mm-hmm. in some parts of the country. We're even seeing rent decreases in other parts of the country, which is which is welcomed for anybody out there who's like got really tired yeah. <laughs> of their landlord the constant sending... increases to rent. Yes, yeah, not twenty twenty two anymore. Right, where, exactly. Uh, we saw the massive increases uh, post pandemic, basically. Yes, and so my little sister used this to her advantage. She is a a renter. I don't know that Aunt Sal Sal. Yeah, she's all about <laughs> like never owning a home. I think, and it, which is totally fine, right? Which a, a reasonable way to go. And actually, as for, long as she is investing the difference exactly uh, in the stock market. Which she is. So she had a recent occurrence. Basically, they build a whole lot of apartment complex or new apartments in midtown Atlanta. And one of the things they use to entice people is a free month or two of rent, oftentimes when they build that new facility. Plus, it's like nice and shiny and brand new. No one's ever lived in it. And so my little sister's like, well, I'm just going to do that every time. Move move somewhere different and get the free month or two. Uh, Why not? But in her current apartment complex was like, 
wait a second. What if we offer you a fifty dollars discount to stay? So not even not even keeping rent the same, but saying, well, you can pay less. And she was like, well, that's not enough of a discount. That's Sorry. A, yeah, I'm a fairly sweet offering though. Yeah. yeah. She's like, I'm still going to go through the pain of moving though. Peace out. And they were like, wait, how much is it going to take? And so th- this <laughs> is like, I feel like this is kind of the data in action, which is even a corporate landlord saying. But wait, hold on. Uh, we what? What if we give you an extra hundred bucks off, hundred fifty dollars off what you were paying every month? And she was like, "Cool, that'll do it. That's enough to get me to stay." One hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, that's is that what she got? That's what she got. Oh, nice. So she's staying uh, put. I mean, yeah, I think that would do it for me as yeah. well. Unless, <laughs> right? Unless the new place has like a karaoke room, right? Or, right. <laughs> or some other amazing amenity. Or that, no, uh, artificial intelligence place. friends, right? That's the new. Oh. That's the new thing. Yeah, Who needs real ones? Well, that's that's awesome, man. Yeah, I think, like you said, it reinforces what the data is showing. But it, it just also depends. Like, there are so many factors that play into what different apartments are able to charge for rent. Because, yes, here in Atlanta, Atlanta's booming, but you might be in a city that maybe there isn't a whole lot of development going on. So there aren't, there isn't a whole lot of additional supply meaning that renters might be a little more beholden to, to, to where they are. But it's always worth, regardless, it's always worth having that conversation and yeah. kind of asking the questions and seeing what it is that you could potentially score. Yeah, it's always yeah. worth knowing the market trends. And those market trends depend on where you live. Like, for instance, I saw, it seems like the biggest rent price declines are happening in Austin, Texas, which was boomtown for a minute. And it's like, seems it was overinflated. That's right. It got too hot. Exactly. Too hot for its own good. And you, you, don't, you don't ask if you don't get, and you don't know what to ask for if you kind of don't have your finger on the pulse of what's happening. So just yeah. kind of heads up, look at the data, see what prices are going for in your neighborhood, look around the corner, see what the other apartment complex is offering, or other single family homes in your area. If you live in a single family home, just like scour Zillow and find out and, and then use that data to present to your landlord. And they might say, wait, you're right. I guess I can't <laughs> increase rent like I thought. Uh, and you're a great tenant. So um, I'll give you that little would, price cut you're asking for. I would love for you to stick around. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get if you don't ask. But uh, let's go ahead and introduce the beer that you and I are going to enjoy during this episode. This is an Icelandic Arctic lager by Einstock Olgerd. Um, there you go. That's that's Icelandic for beer. Yeah. Like uh, Someone's been on Duolingo lately, <laughs> huh? I'm thinking, what is it? Uh, what was the Jamaican beer? Isn't that... Uh, oh, no, I'm thinking of Foster's. That's oh. Australian. <laughs> Foster's. What was it? Australian for beer. Something Stripe. Red Stripe. Red Stripe. That, that was the Jamaican. That's the Jamaican beer. Yeah. They don't say, Red Stripe, Jamaican for beer. No. <laughs> <laughs> they should. Getting my nationalities confused. <laughs> Get my wires crossed a I little see, bit. I see why. Jamaicans and Australians have so much in common. So similar. The same people, really. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're going to enjoy this beer. We're going to answer some money questions, but we will share what we think about this beer at the end of the episode. But before we get to specific questions, we want to let folks know that you can always submit your own question. Uh, We would love if you recorded a little voice memo. That is always a fun way to get a little bit of flavor. I don't know. It's just good to have other folks' voices on the podcast as well. But record that voice memo. Send it over our way at howtomoneypod at gmail.com. And hopefully we will get to it on on an upcoming episode. But uh, Joel, we're going to go ahead and get to our first question, which has to do with a listener. She is... She's kind of like semi-retired. She's living that semi-retired life. It's like a third eye blind song. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, specifically, she is she's wondering whether or not this managed account that she has. She's wanting to know whether or not it's all that. Hi, Joel and Matt. This is Janet calling from Connecticut. I am a longtime listener from the very beginning. I absolutely love your podcast and you both have changed and helped me so much uh, throughout the years. I cannot thank you enough. I recently retired from my job. I am 55 years old. 
I have a 401k, which has over seven figures in it, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, however, I have started a new job because um, I'm certainly not ready to get out of the workforce yet. I called Vanguard um, regarding my 401k to see what I could do with it. And they told me it was being managed by a company through my previous employer and the fee was $129 a month. I asked them what that included and they said basically it was just an algorithm based on my risk tolerance and my preferences for investing. So I'm wondering if this point, if it makes sense to just put the money in a target date fund, um, considering I really only have about five to seven years left in the workforce. And then my fees would go down to, I think they said $89 annually. <laughs> so quite a big difference there. Uh, I think I know the answer, um, but I would love your input. Also, my new employer has a Fidelity retirement plan, and I'm thinking that I should just start contributing to that and leave my Vanguard money where it is. So any advice you could give me, I would certainly appreciate. Thank you so much for the podcast. Uh, Janet, thank you so much for this question. And Matt, the beginning of how to money was a long time ago and uh, in, yeah it was in fact it wasn't <laughs> wasn't called how to money at the very beginning but we'll, we'll say that story for another day uh but thank you so much for being a listener for such a long period of time janet we really appreciate it and you really should be excited about a seven figure retirement account and she kind of quickly just threw that, that yeah that out there and it's like well that's a big deal Mo- seven figures most of our listeners that's amazing in their 20s and 30s that's their goal mm-hmm. but it seems so far off and they're like will i ever get there well janet's living proof that Yes, you can if you do the right thing over a long enough period of time, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I love also that money doesn't seem to be the driving force in your life, right? You're certainly at the point where you could hang it up. It's unlikely that you you have to keep working if you don't want to. You know, million dollar plus nest egg means that you don't necessarily need to continue to pad those retirement accounts. Like you could probably stop, (laughs) stop working if you wanted to. But it sounds like you still enjoy the work you're doing. And so you're going to keep going, which rocks. And you just have the financial ability to not have to if you don't want to. Yep. Yeah. And we, as much as we talk about early retirement, financial independence, that doesn't mean that we hate on work. Your ability to contribute to to society and provide value to other folks, I think is is huge. It gives a lot of folks meaning. Um, I I think I'll be doing some sort of work. Sure. um, long into my later years as well. But, just getting uh, to choose when, how, where exactly. you do it. You it, just want to be able to, yeah. I want that. Mm-hmm. I want that. Even though I, I I, also see myself working in like my 60s, I just want it to be on my own terms. Totally. Yep. Yep. Janet, you, you're also lucky, lucky to have some accounts at two of the best low-cost providers out there. Fidelity and Vanguard, as you know, they are great. And you can keep growing that retirement nest egg in that Fidelity account that you currently have access to while letting the uh, seven-figure, sweet, sweet (laughs) seven-figure Vanguard account keep growing as well. Uh, There's no harm in, in having both. You don't need to go all in necessarily with one provider. But let's talk about managed accounts because that's kind of the the heart of your question and they are not our favorite. Uh, So managed accounts are often retirement accounts that are owned by the individual investor, yourself, but the asset allocation is picked by a financial, a quote unquote financial pro, right? (laughs) And we're not fans of these accounts because the fees that are associated with that professional management. It comes at a high cost. It is, they're typically much, much more expensive. And the results that you get aren't necessarily better. Uh, and so in your case, the fact that your managed account is determined by an algorithm, it, 
<laughs> it's not like you're talking to somebody, right? It's not like you have a relationship with an individual. The fact that it's software making these decisions for you makes that exorbitant fee even more frustrating. Yeah. Like I would get it if there's a little bit of handholding, basically, like a little bit of counseling that's that's able to be provided. But essentially, they're charging you a ton of money for what a lot of the different automatic funds out there are also doing for you, but they're able to provide that at a much lower cost. Yeah, I would rather, much rather take that money and spend it with a, a financial advisor who you trust, who's like a fiduciary fee only and and funnel money in that direction than I would to pay extra for the managed account, especially, especially like you said, Matt, given the fact that it's kind of, I don't know, determined based on an algorithm. That's how the investments are plotted out. Seems it seems like it flies in the face of what a managed account is supposed to be, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then given given Janet that your overall account balance is so stout, the fee is relatively small in comparison. But it also sucks to pay for something when you could get pretty similar results with a DIY approach. Yep. The numbers don't lie. They consistently reveal that financial professionals aren't able to outperform average investors who just sock their money into a simple index fund like a total stock market or an S and P five hundred fund. And Matt, and my parents had something similar. Even some of the best low cost companies like Fidelity have managed account options. A lot of people don't realize that. Ooh, don't they, like that. They go to one of the low cost behemoths because they've heard good things. Oh it's not going to cost me as much. But even those guys have options for these managed accounts. And you might not realize it if you're not looking at your statements, if you're not looking over your account carefully. And you might not realize that something like a one plus percent fee, one and a half percent fee maybe uh, on your account holdings is being charged every single year. So you got to pay attention and know, well, all right, I'm with the low cost company, but even inside of the low cost company, am I invested in the lowest cost funds, the best ones that aren't going to eat into my returns as much over time? Yeah, it, it is true that managed accounts, they do come with the ability to, to tweak your holdings. And some of them are going to dabble in some other investments like REITs, uh, real estate investment trusts. But I guess the, the bigger question there is, do you actually need that exposure? And like, you don't know is the answer. Like That's not something that you need to be exposed to unless it's something that you are personally really interested in. Uh, the one downside, though, of uh, a target date fund is that they they really invest based on your likely retirement date. And so they're based on the years, like every five years, 2030, mm -hmm. 2035, 2040, that kind of thing. And considering how much you have saved up, you might have a bigger risk appetite. You might be willing to take on more risk than what the quote unquote retirement fund, target date fund that you would naturally find yourself being drawn towards because that's, you're like, oh yeah, I want to retire, I think she said in like seven to nine years or, or something like that. But it may not be invested as aggressively given how much money you do have on hand. So this is something that a target date fund can't measure. Those automatic funds are making changes to your portfolio based on a fixed timeline, reducing your risk a little bit with uh, every year that passes. And so if you don't necessarily need that allocation to shift over time where you're moving less from stocks and more to bonds, then a target date fund could actually be a little too conservative for you, uh, even if you are planning on retiring in like 2030 or, or whenever it is that you actually do get around to retiring yeah. given because you're saying that you might want to retire in like seven, nine years or something like that. But maybe you get to that point and you're like, yeah, yeah, I actually do enjoy working. I'm, I am able to provide that value. Or I'm just going part-time. Who knows? Something that, that I want to continue to do. I will say too, one way though to get a, get around the that fixed timeline aspect of target date funds is I've seen some folks basically like target date fund hack, where if they, like, if you know that you are willing to accept a little more risk, instead of choosing, say, a 2035 fund, if you know that you're going to retire in 2035, well, instead look at a 2040 fund or 2045. And it's like another tick towards aggressive investing as opposed to what it is that they think. Or... I love that you just used the term hack for that. Like, so target date fund hack? 
<laughs> is that really it's what we're a, calling it? Well, it's a way to use it in a way that it's not necessarily intended sure. to, to be used. And yeah, so. you're, you're kind it of fits the definition. appropriating it for your own needs, which I think yeah. is great. Yeah. So it's just like a simple way to index for maybe that. Is that a better word? Like yeah. to, to index for maybe that increased desire to expose yourself to risk. And the flip side is true as well. If, you, if you're out there listening and you're thinking, man, I really want to expose myself to as little risk as possible. And again, you say you were planning to retire in 2035. Well, you can go for that 2030 fund, mm-hmm. 2025 fund, whatever. <laughs> the truth is also that not all target date funds are created equal, right? They're best to own inside of a tax-advantaged retirement account. And it's always important to look at the expense ratio. Like Fidelity and Schwab, for instance, have great products on this front that come with incredibly low fees. I'm talking like 0.08%, which is really, really low. But that's not true for every company out there, right? So just a heads up for other How to Money listeners, you know, while we like target date funds as an investment strategy, whether or not you opt to go that route depends on what accounts you're holding that investment in and if you have access to some of the best low-cost target date funds or not. Even, Matt, much to my chagrin, Fidelity charges really high fees on target date funds, which just doesn't make sense. And Relative to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with Vanguard and We're talking Schwab or, three quarters or of a point, I think, basically, for some of those and target guess, date funds. I mean, I guess when it comes to their lineup, they offer the absolute lowest when it comes to certain products. Mm-hmm. Like they're in, like the, you know, you can get a total stock market index fund or ETF. The, you can the, get the a, loss leader. Uh, yeah, they, yeah. Yes, exactly. I, I think that might be how this is working because they're able to kind of rope folks in, perhaps, with the. Guess what? You're going to pay nothing. Literally, like you, it's infinitely better than, <laughs> than anything else. Like anything divided by zero is zero. Like, yeah. <laughs> like and so it makes a lot of sense to consider Fidelity if, in particular, you're a, a younger investor and you want to aggressively aggressively invest in the stock market. Uh, but yeah, don't necessarily assume that uh, it's a slam dunk decision to go with a Fidelity target date fund. Yeah, yeah. And so you have to be aware if you're looking inside of your 401k plan at work, you have to look at the fees associated with it. Don't just assume, oh, target target date fund, it's going to be great and it's going to be low cost. And and I wish they were all as great as like Vanguard and Schwab's, but yeah. sadly they're not. Yeah, the details matter. And yeah. quickly, real quick, you mentioned to, that target date funds are best inside retirement accounts specifically. And we we actually talked about this, I think guess it was last year maybe when- Oh, the Vanguard the, kerfuffle? Vanguard, yeah. And so the, the reason you, want, you don't necessarily want to own a target date fund in a taxable account, so a, a brokerage account, is because of the interest that bonds pay. It's because of the dividends that the stocks put off. But specifically, when the fund managers, uh, even though it's software, (laughs) sometimes they have to sell portions of the underlying fund. And when they do that, there is taxable capital gains that gets passed along to you as shareholders. This has happened with other companies as well, but most notably, I think it happened to Vanguard last year. But there are some folks who were stuck with massive tax bills for that year because of some of the rebalancing that was taking place within these target date funds. Yeah. And it was completely unexpected. It was unexpected. That's the thing, right? Because tax deferred account, you're going to pay that tax eventually anyway. Oh, and they were like, but I'm not the one who made this choice. It was the fund <laughs> manager who made the choice. Yes. But when you are in retirement, you are making, you're planning for that. But when you're just in your typical working years and that it's a surprise, basically, that's when it can really end up biting you in the butt. So yeah. that's why you don't want to own target date funds within a brokerage account. You want to keep those within those tax-deferred accounts. And Joel, we were talking about renters here at the top of the episode, talking about your sis. We actually have a question from a listener, and she is going to have some new renters moving in next door. Let's get to her question, plus another, right after this break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. 
So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, Matt, let's keep going with Ask How to Money questions. This next one comes from a listener in California who's trying to decide whether or not he should pay off his low interest rate mortgage early. Hey there. I have a question regarding the classic payoff mortgage early versus invest dilemma. More specifically than just which one is better, I'm trying to understand if the rate at which I pay off a mortgage early affects the long-term results. So to make things simple, say I have a $500,000 balance on our mortgage at a low three and a half interest rate. And I know some people will think we're crazy for even considering paying this off early. We are high earners. And if we put most of our extra monthly savings to it, we could likely pay off the mortgage in the next two to three years. Take into account, we also max out our 401k contributions and don't have any other debt. After those two to three years, all of our extra income would then start going into additional investments. So ultimately my question is, does paying off a mortgage in a short period of time make it mathematically better than if we spread out those payments over a longer period of time, like paying it off early in the next seven to 10 years? Alternatively, if we just paid the minimum on our mortgage, we'd end up with about that 500000 in initial investments over the next two to three years. 
And another way to look at it is if the two to three years of compound interest that I'm giving up by paying off the mortgage early will make much of a difference in the total amount 20 to 30 years from now when we retire. I hope I'm making sense. I've tried several different mortgage payoff versus investment calculators online, and I can't quite understand if paying off a mortgage early quicker versus slower makes much of a difference in the long run. Thanks a lot. This is Andrew from California, and I really enjoy the show. All right, Andrew, first of all, you are not crazy for thinking about paying off your mortgage early. You might be crazy. You don't know. Well, not for this reason. Okay, right. <laughs> not when it comes to his finances. And that's because Andrew's crushing it by maxing out uh, his other tax advantage retirement accounts. If Andrew, if, if you were asking this question, but maybe you were doing a paltry job on that front when it came to those tax advantage accounts, we'd want to, to help convince you to do more investing before going down this, this route any further, before overly focusing on your mortgage, especially with a low rate. But since you are trying to take the both and approach, you're not, it's not either or, you're not like, oh, I haven't, I don't have anything invested towards my, uh, towards my retirement. I don't have any sort of nest egg set aside, but I really want to pay off my mortgage. If, if that was the case, we'd be giving you a, a different answer, but that's not the position that you're in. You are taking the both and approach because of that. This is very much a personal decision uh, and you can do what seems best to you given that combination of, of numbers, but also of emotions that, that personal finance often straddles, right? Like you got to take more into account than just the dollars and cents. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if we were, if we were beings where math was the, the ultimate decider, we would all be making much different decisions, right? But the thing is personal finance has such an emotional component. It's, we got to factor that in to, to every answer that we give into, into really whatever Matt and I talk about the, on the show that matters, right? What the behavioral element of, of what happens, right? And the reason we would typically recommend that folks keep the mortgage around is because they're making the decision about investing versus paying off debt, not investing more but investing at all, right? That's exactly. kind of, that's the way most people are. They're like, mm, which which one should I be doing? And so if you're not investing a significant amount of money for your future, if you're not far along the money year spectrum, we don't want you to prioritize mortgage payoff. Like that's, that's for, especially if you've got a three and a half percent rate, right? Especially that's, given the low, yeah. <laughs> your low rate. That's, yeah. for, that's further down the line. They're just better places for you to funnel those dollars. But if you've saved and invested like a crazy person, kind of like Andrew has here, if you're doing the right thing on that front, this is a, this is really more of a personal decision that you get to make, right? And so we'll do our best to help you think through it, Andrew, but kind of just want to say that at the outset is that really so much depends on a lot of those particulars, what you've been doing up until this point. Have you been a disciplined saver and investor already? And since you have, like you have more options at your disposal. That's right. But let's go ahead and talk about the numbers though. Let's talk about the math because they do come into play. They should help to inform your decision here because yes, to answer your question, the earlier that you pay off the mortgage, the better it is for you from uh, numbers, from a return perspective. Where you are on that timeline within that loan, that matters a great deal. And so for instance, let's say you were in year 25 uh, of a 30 year mortgage. If so, we would tell you to keep that puppy around. And that's because on a 30-year mortgage at 3.5%, you would have five times more of your monthly payment going towards principal compared to the portion that's going towards interest. So at that point, 
like your, your relative interest rate here is much lower and the overwhelming majority of your mortgage payment is actually being being directly funneled into home equity. Like you are paying yourself essentially. So if that were the case, then why would you why, why would you bother even paying it off any more quickly than you had to? That, yeah. like, I mean, I would I would most definitely just ride that thing off into the sunset. <laughs> once you get yeah, once you get far enough along, it's like, let it be. And the reason for this is because mortgage payments are calculated using an amortization schedule. So uh, compare someone who who's on year 25 with a brand new homeowner who's on year one of those payments, right? At the beginning of the amortization schedule, the amount of your payment going towards interest is nearly double the amount that's going towards principal, right? This makes your relative interest rate much higher during those early years when you're when you're basically a new homeowner. So yes, Andrew, we would say you stand to benefit more financially by getting rid of that loan within the first five to 10 years than you do by accelerating your payments at the end. That's right, yeah. So it does make sense to pay off more of your mortgage earlier on in that timeline and, of course, when you have a higher interest rate. And so it sounds like you are towards the beginning of your your mortgage there, but you've also got a pretty dang good rate given the, the current economic environment that we're in. And so something else to think long and hard about is what other goals, money goals that you might have. Up until now, we've just kind of talked about the numbers, we've talked about the math, but now it's, we're kind of addressing the more personal and emotional side of things. What is it going to feel like for you, uh, for you and your partner, if you've got a home that's debt free? Uh, would greater amounts of liquidity, having more savings on hand, would that actually give you even more peace? from a financial standpoint, maybe what you are realizing is that, you know what, I don't have any concerns about my ability to pay down my mortgage, but if we had more cash in the bank, that would actually, oh, that would, maybe that would be fantastic. Or maybe it would allow me to start the business or make us feel like we could start a family, whereas a paid off mortgage might not make you feel the same. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, we want to expand your options from just, it's not a dichotomy here. It's not you take all this money and either invest it in the market or take all this money and pay down a mortgage. You can just sit on that money for a little bit. And I think it's worth taking some time if you don't necessarily have some of these uh, additional personal finance goals to brainstorm, to dream. We've got a, um, the how to money money mission statement that we'll link to in the show notes for, uh, within this episode that might ask some questions of you that could allow you to maybe expand your horizons a little bit as to what it is that you could possibly do with your money. Things that you thought maybe like, oh, we would we could never do that. But it's like, well, no. You're talking about serious amounts, like two to three years, he's going to have $500,000 on hand. You could do a lot yeah. with that money. And I think there's more options that you might have. There's more at your disposal than than you're giving yourself credit for. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to note that taking time is only benefiting you from a multitude of standpoints, right? Because you have the locked in low rate and because money that you have in a savings account, if it's with a high yield savings account and with one of the online banks that we love, you're actually getting paid a decent rate, uh, actually in excess of what yes. your interest rate is on the mortgage. Yeah, so there, there's a real spread there. Yeah. And so the, uh, yeah, that's that's such a great argument for sitting on that cash, right? Because you can calculate, like you can run the amortization schedule and say, all right, we're going to pay X amount of dollars in interest this year uh, by keeping the mortgage, by keeping that loan around. But just take all that money 
and stick it in, in your high yield savings and you're going to earn 5%, there's mm -hmm. going to be a decent spread there. So not only like you are coming out ahead from a from a math and number standpoint, but that also just buys you more time that then allows you to figure out what some of your what some of your other financial goals might be. Yeah. And yeah. again, if the if we were answering a question based on investing more uh, versus kind of consumption sort of thing, like that's a different that's a different answer as well. But either way you go, given your high income, given your frugal habits and attention to detail, you can't screw this up, Andrew, really. It's uh, it's a matter of preference at this point, given the fact that you're kind of keeping your debt um, to a minimum, that you are investing like gangbusters. And so you're basically so far along the money gear spectrum that you get to make this choice based on whatever feels right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that kind of might sound like a cop-out, but it's true, right? Yeah. Um, and, and you have that ability to make maybe the the slightly less optimal financial decision in favor of the the slightly more optimized emotional and relational one. Yeah, I I feel like one of the questions he's asking without asking us directly is like, what is the stock market going to do over the next <laughs> <laughs> two to three years? Uh -huh. Let me get because, my crystal ball out. Because he, he basically he's saying in three years that the house is going to be paid off, and then they can really focus on investing. But like you said, again, we do know what banks are currently paying in high-yield savings. Mm -hmm. and so that is guaranteed. Rates can always change, but at that point, you can always do something else with your money. Yeah. So if it was me, I would totally hang on to this mortgage regardless, indefinitely. Because, Same. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not paying off any of my mortgages early. I'm trying nope. to keep my, my debt uh, reasonable on rental properties and primary residences, always trying to put 20% down at least. Uh, but I'm not I'm not rushing to pay anything off. I, I'd rather yeah. do, make more positive moves for, you know... Um, to grow my wealth for the future. And you know what? You can always keep that in your back pocket and start paying more or, or pay those off at a later date. But re yeah. really, Andrew, this is up to you, man, and uh, best of luck. But Matt, let's get to the, the next question. This one is about how to respond when tenants move in next door. Hi, how to money. This is Gina from upstate New York. And I'd like your opinions as landlords. I am having a couple of trees removed and the tree company wants to use the next door neighbor's driveway. I called that neighbor who just closed on the house last week and is an investor and he said, yeah, that's fine. I just need a statement for, you know, any damage to be covered. But it got me thinking, what are some things I should be cautious of? and aware of going forward with now having the new dynamic of having tenants next door where in the past 10 years I was always on the other side of that. So now I would like to simply be prepared. I hope this question leads to some good discussion and I look forward to the show. Thanks. Matt, this question comes from Gina, and I really want to go all Martin from the 90s sitcom. Uh, <laughs> dang, Gina. But, Don't do it. <laughs> okay, I'll refrain. Uh, but let's talk about tree and tenant issues with neighbors. Let's start by discussing the tree thing first. And and that this request, right, in, in a tree situation is perfectly reasonable, right? And uh, big old trees close to the property line, sometimes you got to get on the other side of the property, and most neighbors understand this. I'm glad it sounds like this landlord, this new owner of the property next door understands it too. And I guess like for, for any and all how to money listeners though, wanting to have a tree removed or pruned or really any other work done around your house, you want to make sure the person performing the work is licensed and insured. So Matt, I had a tree removed at my, my last house and when they were grinding the stump 
a big chunk flew through and broke my neighbor's window. Fortunately, the company I hired was licensed and insured. Oh, snap. And so they took care of it. I don't know if they even had to tap their insurance. But just in case, right, just in case they say, what are you talking about? That wasn't me. You want to make sure that they're licensed and insured. And so um, I would make sure, Gina, whoever you hire to do the work, that they're covered, right, so that in case something happens, you're not out of pocket additional money. And then also, I guess, just, just one more thing, plenty of good reviews are something else worth prioritizing. Uh, one of the, the company that we had, when, when the tree fell through our roof, Matt, the company we had do the work, they they were awesome. And the, it, so much of it was word of mouth from neighbors, but then I looked at the reviews and it was like, man, people love this company. Hmm. And they make things right when they screw up, and they did that in my case. So. Yeah. Performing some of that due diligence on the front end is, can save you a lot of headache down the road uh, were something less than ideal were that to happen. But uh, Gina, now that your next door neighbor, though, is a tenant, not a homeowner, homeowner occupant, should that change anything else? I don't think there's necessarily anything that you should be worried about. You know, like there are some of those stereotypes with the absent landlord. Um, those stereotypes exist for a reason. A landlord is running a business, and so you know they're likely going to do, say, less beautifying uh, on that home than a, an actual homeowner would. But I honestly wouldn't fret too much about that. You know, there might not be quite as much curb appeal now that the house is a rental and they've got renters in there. But hopefully, it won't impact your ability to to happily live next door. It makes me think our first house that we owned, we had uh, we had a renter, uh, a house that was a rental across the street, but then also next door to us. And we didn't really care at all. <laughs> uh, and the one in, in particular across the street, like it was kind of, I mean, maybe it's changed, but at, like when we first bought there, it was kind of an eyesore, you know, like it hadn't been painted in forever. The, like the, the grass would get pretty dang long out front. But personally, it was just like, eh, didn't, it didn't really bother us on it. It probably had an impact on when we moved out our ability for um, what we were able to charge for yeah, that. Resale, because there might yeah. be other folks who might be a little more sensitive to that. But for you, obviously it comes down to, to your personal preference and honestly who was living there before because maybe you had the best neighbor ever that was living next door and now they moved out and the landlord bought this house and you're never going to like whoever lives there <laughs> compared to who used to live there so I don't know all things to keep in mind but I guess I don't want you to go into it w with a mindset of thinking oh my gosh there's a, an investor this is going to totally suck yeah and one thing I would do though Matt is to keep the uh, number of the landlord handy right you certainly don't want to be the neighbor who's bringing every last thing to his attention. Hey, I see a weed in the front yard, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Right. Th that landlord's going to get annoyed pretty quickly. Uh, but it's not a bad idea to tell him that you're happy to be an extra set of eyes. And it it's it's not even out of negligence necessarily, but a tenant might not notice something on the outside of the house that's facing you. And oh, yeah. even an in-tune landlord, they might miss a shared fence that's in need of some repair or something like that. So Yeah. Like on your side of the house, up in the corner, that's where the squirrels are getting in. Right. Exactly. You can be like, hey, just so you know, you like snap a picture of the cute squirrels running in and out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. send a exterminator to show up. And, and if there's something like, hey, guess what? These tree limbs are starting to touch the electrical wires. You might want to do something to prune them back. Like, yeah. it, it make him aware of certain things. Again, don't be the annoying, pesky person. But like, yeah, stay in contact. Stay in on good terms. Uh, I think a good landlord is more than willing to spend money to keep their property in good shape for current and future tenants. But keeping that relationship amiable and Every once in a while, bringing those things to his his attention is is probably the best way to go about it. Yeah. Well, and, and if you've already got his phone number as well, like I see this almost as an advantage because guess what? You now know the person who's in charge of getting you new neighbors, a.k.a. you 
can now have an impact or you can now influence your landlord as to who moves in next door. If I, I'm just, I'm speaking from like landlord uh, perspective here. If I had a neighbor, uh, a house that was next to one of my rentals, and they knew that a lease was coming up, or that typically I get new renters in there in the spring or in the summer, if I was the, uh, if there was a neighbor that would call me and say, "Hey, I've got some potential renters for you. Some friends of mine would love to move to the neighborhood," I would be thrilled for a couple reasons. One. There's a sense of community, right? If you're living next to somebody that's, that's your friend, that's pretty cool. Uh, and I feel like that kind of strengthen, strengthens a neighborhood. But also, I think if you've got a friend next door, that renter is less likely to move on because y'all are buds. Yeah. And so, f- like, from my standpoint, I see this as a, a win from, oh, man, like this, I'm, this is a house I'm going to have to show less often. It's a, it's a house where these renters might end up staying here for a, a pretty long time. And then, of course, it's a win. It's a it's win win, right? So it's a win for the landlord, but it's also a win for you because your ability to kind of maybe curate the neighborhood a little bit and be like, man, I want to get my people. I want to get my friends over here. I want to, or you know, hey, I know somebody that's really looking for uh, an affordable two one. Uh, she can't afford a, a whole lot, or you know, he's kind of been had some hard times over the past couple of years, but he's back on his feet now. The ability for you to kind of place some of those folks there around you, I think that's really cool. And I th- yeah, in that in that way, I see the ability for you to see a situation where temporary neighbors is typically seen as maybe like a negative thing and kind of flip it on its head a little bit. Yeah, maybe. And, and also, if let's say you've got somebody who comes in, or maybe you beautify your front yard and you say, hey, listen, every summer I come out here and I plant yard uh, these flowers in my front yard, I'll do yours for 150 bucks. I don't know. Maybe like, yeah, yeah. hey, but it's going to make it look beautiful. It's going to give it that curb appeal, that pop. That could be a way to make a few extra bucks while also making sure that the property next door looks as good as you want it to. I don't yeah. know. Just, just I thought. like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joel's going to get over there and start planting some bulbs exactly. uh, this Christmas. Yeah, well, I, that's when I plant. Christmas Day, I plant my tulip bulbs. All right, we've got a couple more questions to get to, Matt, including one about using inexpensive uh, cell phone providers overseas. Is it going to work out? We'll talk about that and more right after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So, if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. 
Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs. And it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we are back from the break. We've got more topics to discuss, and specifically, we've got our Facebook question of the week. And I guess technically this one may not be a question, uh, but this one came from an anonymous poster in the Facebook group. By the way, if you are not already over there, just head to Facebook, search How to Money. You'll quickly find the group. We've got over 10,000 folks in there helping each other out. But this one was really interesting. We felt like we, uh, we definitely needed to, to talk about it on the show. But uh, it goes, and I quote, uh, I have a craft beer equivalent dilemma. So my partner, married 23 plus years, is starting to go down a path towards a hobby that I very much do not support for several reasons and is aware of my feelings on the subject. We are in Money Gear 7, uh, a few years from retirement, but it's an expensive hobby too. Thousands of dollars likely per year. And then um, further down in the comments, it was revealed that the hobby is guns, sh- shooting guns specifically, which, you know, it's not every- everybody's cup of tea here. So yeah. we, we felt, like, <laughs> felt like this was something worth tackling here. It on, is. And ask how to money. It is much to my shame. My four-year-old son's favorite hobby right now, fake guns, fake yeah. guns. But he's all about <laughs> he's being He's not out skeet shooting no. at uh, age four. <laughs> and I don't know where you got this from because um, I don't own a gun, not really interested in that, but he's obsessed. Uh, I think it all started with a, his kick he loves alexander hamilton the the musical and he they got some muskets yeah exactly yeah, yeah. that's where it started that but uh <laughs> Dude, what if you got instead of like so all the kid guns are just like machine guns and you know like revolvers uh-huh. like western style guns and stuff like that what if you got him do they make kid muskets because <laughs> where he has to like bite the bite the gunpowder pouch and that's know, a good like, question p- like pull the rod pack it where you do like civil war reenactments well we have a, a local civil war battlefield yeah. right by our house and we went and we saw actually them shoot some of those old guns it's and he was loud. smitten he oh, was, was he? oh my gosh loud. he wasn't scared he was fascinated and then he like asked so many questions to the guy afterwards it was adorable <laughs> uh but okay yeah a, a lot of the responses to this question or to this problem that was posed in the Facebook group revolved around the fact that a marriage counselor might be the way to go. And I think there's some wisdom there, uh, and especially since my wife is planning on being a marriage counselor. I have to say, by law, that this is a really good idea. You should go see a marriage she counselor. She made you sign something. Right. And, uh, if, you don't re- if you don't mention it. Exactly. I get in trouble. That's when the prenup kicks in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but this wouldn't necessarily be my first recommendation. And, and so it, it sure sounds like this is less about the money that's going to be spent on this hobby. You're in Money Gear 7, you said. And more about maybe the moral disagreement of that chosen hobby. Although, of course, buying guns and going to the range 
can get expensive really quick. But if moral aversion is the main problem here, right, it's a good idea to share your feelings with your partner. Maybe they don't understand why you're reticent. You know, the they probably aren't making the same connection or moral judgment about this because people have different takes on going. It can be like considered a hobby. And for others, it's considered self-defense. And it, ju- it can just, it, it, people can have different viewpoints, right? So approach that conversation, I would say, with kindness and with curiosity. Maybe you'll see their pursuit in a new light. Or maybe they'll see your point of view. Who knows? And if, if not, having a neutral third party, it might help facilitate a needed discussion. Maybe that is when marriage counseling makes sense. I just wouldn't necessarily go there immediately try to work it out together first that would be my suggestion yes yeah, that's, that's true uh and so that's kind of the maybe more of the underlying issue but let's also talk about the mechanics when it comes to the money as well because it's really important i think to have some open discussions about expensive new endeavors and we've talked this reminds me of our conversation with our wives where we talked about we've got different interests and it doesn't mean that you have to be necessarily thrilled about how the other person is spending the money. And, you know, in this case, she's actually, there's an aversion to how they're spending the money, but Mm -hmm. I still think it's important to have a certain amount of blow money. That's what we call it. And like on our budget, it's just Matt money, Kate money, it's our blow money. Uh, But just to make sure that each person feels like that they have the ability to pursue the things that they're interested in. So for instance, if your partner wants to spend like $200 a month on a gun hobby, I think you should have the freedom to spend pretty lavishly on a hobby that you enjoy. And if that $200 a month, if it if you're in a situation, if someone's listening, they're like, but that would make it more difficult to, to pursue other financial goals that we both said are, are so important. Well, then in that case, I think you're, maybe your partner either needs to maybe dial back their enthusiasm a little bit. Maybe they can find a more budget-friendly hobby or maybe to, to find a way to bring some more money in to help pay for that hobby. But but even that starts to kind of feel like like tit for tat a little bit because I think there's a lot of folks where they might have the room to allow for some of this margin, right? Where they don't necessarily need to be like, well, you spent $200 exactly on this. I'm going to, I'm entitled to exactly $200 as well. That feels less generous. Um, and so I think it also just takes a, an honest look at your personal finances to, to realize that like, actually we're in a pretty decent spot. Maybe, yeah, we do have the margin to be able to spend in ways where we're not necessarily accounting for every single dollar that's within perhaps that blow money category. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I think hobbies are fun and enjoyable and they don't have to cost much at all. Matt, my favorite hobbies are relatively inexpensive. Disc golf, hiking, riding bikes are some of the great cheap ones. Although I thought about recently getting a mountain bike and my wife and I talked about it. And to get with, it with shocks. I, yeah. I was looking at buying, I don't think not terribly expensive, but like a $750 bike, right? Nothing too fancy, but we both got talking about it and it was like, are you going to have time <laughs> to get out there on the trails like you are kind of hoping? And I was, no, actually, I, I don't think I have the time right now to really make it worthwhile, make it make sense yeah. to buy this new bike. But a uh, friend of the show, Cody Sanchez, who came on to talk about building businesses uh, back in the day, she had this weird anti-hobby take on Twitter recently. She said that people use hobbies to distract them from their life. And I thought that was the weirdest thing. It made zero sense to me. Love her for what she does, but that hot take on Twitter was really really dumb in my opinion. Uh, I think hobbies are one of the coolest things about life. We should all be like working a little bit less, right? Even if we enjoy what we do and be carving more time out to enjoy those super fun hobbies that we're interested in. Too many Americans actually have too few hobbies. That is, I think, in large part, what's make what makes retirement so 
boring and so yeah. difficult for so many people is that they don't have enough interest when they hit retirement age. And so they're like, what do I do now? I've been used mm-hmm. to working 50 hours a week. Now I don't know what to do with myself. Hobbies are really one of the, the main answers to that. I think, I think there's a lot of folks who have too few real hobbies because that's the problem. I think there's a lot of folks that are getting sucked into the work, work and success track uh, and the folks who do have hobbies, a lot of times it's just sitting in front of the TV. It, yeah. it's, it's when it turns into like a default behavior that requires a lot of your time and that you don't necessarily get a lot of enjoyment out of. I think mm-hmm. those are the kind of situations that, that kind of, I guess, rub, rub me the wrong way. Uh, Joel, we got one, let's, one other quick one here. Jamie, she posted in Facebook this week and said, I'm considering switching to Mint Mobile, but I haven't heard much conversation about how to address international travel. Is there an option to activate the plan when traveling? I don't frequently go out of the country, but with Verizon, it's so easy. And other family members on my plan travel internationally monthly. Oh, wow. So, yeah. What do you, you want to share our experience uh, well, with Mint specifically? Yeah. I'm a little jelly that her her family members are traveling internationally monthly. That's amazing. That's and She's like, well, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what should you do? Well, yeah, we've been... With, she should say, first of all, you should be taking me. I don't know. We don't know what the situation we'll, we'll is give like. our We'll give our unbiased opinion here because like, yeah. we've been with Mint Mobile for a lot of years now, but we're not going to cover up for how awful they are on the international front. Like Their domestic service is great and the price is perfect, right? 15 bucks a month if when you pay for a year worth of service up front it doesn't really get much better than that we're fans but the, there is certainly a massive flaw in the mint system that we wish they'd upgrade and that is that international service royally sucks with mint and we just experienced that in in Scotland Matt mm-hmm. you, you can theoretically you can spend money to get international coverage i did i paid i don't know 10 bucks 15 bucks or something whatever for some international coverage with mint and it felt like it didn't work basically at all, even though I paid the money for it. So uh, if you travel overseas infrequently, I'm talking like once a year, once every other year, we think that going with Mint still probably makes sense. Uh, you can opt to get a local SIM card on the rare occasion that you do travel. That's pretty easy thing and a pretty inexpensive thing as well. It's not very hard, but if you're traveling more frequently than that, it's probably worth looking. We wrote an article about this on our website at a slightly more expensive service that includes better international travel. Google Fi probably being the best bet for for international travelers. Yeah, so so the problem isn't the 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 coverage sucks. It's that literally so the way that Mint bills you, it's 20 cents per megabyte. I was thinking about it earlier, and I think part of the problem is that we don't really have a conception of what that gives you, right? Yeah. And so we did the same thing. We, you know, we blo- I think all four of us loaded like twenty. I mean, Kate and I, we loaded like twenty or twenty-five bucks on for the international thing, but it's twenty cents per megabyte, right? So let's do the math here. That means it's two dollars for ten megabytes, and obviously twenty dollars for one hundred megabytes. What can you do with one hundred megabytes? That's about the size of a podcast. <laughs> like literally, I upload the files for us. They tend to be around 100 megabytes. And so the problem is, is you see 20 cents per megabyte. Oh, okay. That seems like I should be able to get a decent amount. But when it actually, if you're not on Wi-Fi and you're truly using that roaming, it will not take you very long at all to completely blow through the amount of data that you've purchased internationally. And so it's just exorbitantly expensive. And I, at the time, I don't think we even realized this, but we just quickly used up the data that we had already, that we had pre-purchased and it felt like it wasn't working. I think it worked for a second, but literally it was gone in like a blink of an eye. <laughs> and, and we're like, well, we're not going to pay for more. We're, we'll figure it out. And we went and bought a paper map. That's how you do it. <laughs> but then what it, like you, you mentioned Google Fi. Yeah. The cool thing about them is that you can toggle between their two plans. And so what that means is that you can have their regular, less expensive plan most of the time, 
but then you can bump it up to the more expensive. Uh, it's a more robust plan when you're about to hop on a plane and you're going to head to like something like 160 to 200 different countries where Google Fi works. And that nicer plan, it's $110 for two lines. And so you're basically looking at $55 a month there. But the data is included on that Unlimited Plus plan. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to worry about, like like I'm talking about here, trying to do the math and figure out, okay, what is it that I'm able, am I, can I watch a movie? Right. Should I even hop on social media because pictures are heavier than text? You know, like you don't need to do all this mental math. When Which is so like, nice. It's nice oh, to yeah. not have to stress about it, well, right? Because when you're traveling too, you're, you've got so many other things on your mind anyway. You're trying yes. to figure out how to get to, get to the, the Airbnb or you're trying to figure out how to get to the hotel. There are other things that you're that are going through your head, not oh, should I be checking my email or can I look something up on the web to figure out if this castle is open or whatever yeah. it is. That or if that restaurant, like, yeah, if they're if, if they're still open or not, too, because I saw it on Anthony Bourdain 10 years ago. When I, <laughs> I kind of want to hit it up. It's around the corner. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree. I Mint think, Mobile, great in the States, terrible abroad. Yes, there exactly. <laughs> and, and and so I think Google, Google Fi is like, Matt, that's what when we start traveling more, that's what you and I are going to opt for. And the cool thing is you mentioned the price for two lines. I don't know what it is off the top of my head for four, but I will say four I'm sure lines I'm sure there's deals yeah four lines makes it so much cheaper because much so well i know i know at least for the regular service two lines of google fi the the kind that doesn't work very well overseas is 70 bucks but four lines is 80 so that's oh, how nice. it's amazing like yeah the four lines doesn't cost much more so if you can find another couple or something like that to split service with and okay, just kind of 20 dollars a line venmo each other every month that kind of thing the google fi service becomes ridiculously cheap you know, almost as close almost in comparison it's kind of what mint charges so it's uh it's definitely Definitely, definitely worth thinking about if you are an international traveler. Google Fi is one of the best. That's right. All right. right. Let's uh, talk about the beer real quick. We enjoyed Icelandic Arctic Lager. This is by Einstock Olgerd. Joel, what was what were your thoughts about this it was dry hop lager? Yeah, it was light, refreshing, lightly hoppy. It it tastes like a, a glorious European vacation, man. And I just wish on our last one that we had had like drink, <laughs> better cell phone service. But yeah, like you're drinking beer straight out of the straight out of the Arctic. Itself. Yeah, you know those uh, Iceland's known for its waterfalls. It tastes like a <laughs> like if, if there was a beer waterfall <laughs> in Iceland, this is what it would taste like. Uh, I felt like it, it. It almost had like a lemony kind of zestiness to mm. it. Um, so like a maybe a, a slight acidity, slight tartness that I was not expecting out of a, a lager like this. But maybe that was just the the dry hopness of it, perhaps. But yeah, really good, really refreshing, very Viking like based on the the can art here with the. Uh, <laughs> What, it, what I mean, what do you call the the Viking hats? The I don't know. Viking I don't know helmets. the I don't know what the name is for. Is there a, there's got to be an actual term for it. Probably. Yeah. Right, we'll look it up at some point. But uh, that's going to be it for this episode. You can find our show notes up on the website at howtomoney.com. There you'll find a link to the Mint Mobile write-up and why it is such a great plan here in the states. But maybe at some point, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have one up for Google Fi as well with all the international travel that you are saying that you're going to be doing. I don't know about me, man. One of these days. <laughs> that's going to be it, buddy, for this one though. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. 
Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 